Several years ago, there was a, a movie uh, that came out that was, uh, it became very popular, and it, and it was both dramatic and humorous, and, and the movie was called Castaway, and it had uh, Tom Hanks in it, and the idea of the story is there's a guy that works for FedEx, and he is on a plane, he's going, uh, uh, I, th I think, to Russia. Anyway, the, the plane crashes, and he is the lone survivor of this plane crash, and he ends up in a, um, in a deserted island, and then he has to, um, uh, two things he has to figure out why he's on this island. Number one is how to survive. Okay, he had to, first of all, you got to figure out how am I going to survive this? Uh, where do I get my food? Where do I get uh, stuff to drink? Uh, that kind of stuff. And then he had to figure out how to get off. Like, I, I got to survive, but I don't want to stay here. So he started putting together some plans uh, to help him get off. Now, one of the things that um, he, he had to face, though, is what I would say is a very troubling situation, and that is uh, he was all alone, and he had no one to talk to. He, he, he had no friends. There was nobody. There was no other survivors, so there was no one to visit with. And to combat this, and this is where the humorous part comes out, he, being a FedEx uh, deliverer, the, the plane crash, he was able to discover some of the packages. And in one of the packages was a Wilson brand ball. And he named that ball Wilson, and it became his friend. And he began to talk to Wilson. He, it was his companion. He took Wilson wherever he went. Uh, he would even get irritated and yell at Wilson. Matter of fact, one time uh, he got so angry at Wilson, he, he kicked him out of the cave and then realized, what did I do? I lost Wilson. He ran out in the middle of the night looking for him, and, and he finds him and brings him back. And he's apologizing to this ball because it was the only thing he had to communicate with. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think the saddest part in the whole movie is when he finally gets on a raft and tries to leave, Wilson comes loose. And he figures it out. He sees Wilson way out in the ocean, and he jumps off, and he tries to swim, and he realizes he has a choice, swim to Wilson and die or go back to the raft. And the sad part, he yells out Wilson, he screams Wilson, and he lets Wilson Go, But I, I thought, you know, that movie, I can't think of really anything much worse than being stuck in a place all by yourself with no one to talk to. I, I think that's a, that's a sad state to find yourself in when you, when you realize and you believe that you, you have no one to talk to, no one to communicate with. I, I think we see the devastating effects of, of this idea today. Um, we have an alarming rise uh, in our suicide rate, and one of the things about that is people feel like they have no one to talk to. And if you're on social media, you'll see these posts every now and then, and it'll say they're just shared by people randomly saying, hey, if you feel uh, depressed, you need someone to talk to, there is someone that'll listen. I'll listen or call this number. There are people that'll listen to you because a sad state to find yourself in that I think would be very horrible would to find yourself in a place where you had absolutely no one to talk to and have a healthy conversation with. Now, here's the thing. Uh, most health professionals would agree that uh, having true health and wellness 
requires several things, and one of those things is having healthy conversations with people. Uh, having someone that you can talk to, having someone that you can, in a healthy way, communicate with, someone you can be honest with, someone you can be transparent with, uh, somebody that will be bold, you can be bold with and that will listen to you and will respond in truth with grace and with mercy. I, the most health professionals would say in order to have a rounded well, wellness and health, you need someone to talk to because the, when you don't have someone to talk to, what you end up doing is taking all of that and you put it on the inside and you harbor it. And the more you harbor it, it, it has some emotional d disturbances that come with it, but it actually will have some physical ailments that'll come from not communicating with someone and having healthy conversations. Now, what does that have to do with our spiritual health? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started a, a series on spiritual disciplines and the idea behind this series is looking at the things that the Word of God tells us that we need to do in order to gain spiritual health. As Christians, God wants us to be healthy Christians, not necessarily in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. And just as there's things that we have to do to get healthy physically, there's also things that we need to do in order to gain spiritual health. Now, we started looking at those in particular last week. We looked at the study of the Word of God and how it's our spiritual food. And without our spiritual food, will be malnourished and will never have the spiritual health that God intends for us to have. Now, I will tell you the same thing that I told you last week. Um, you can know all of these disciplines. You can have all the understanding of them in the world. You can know everything the Bible has to say about them, but if you don't apply them, then they do you no good. I mean, you can go and get a college degree, I know because I've done it, you can get a college degree in health and in wellness and learn everything there is to know about diets, about exercise, about calorie intake, and about target heart rate, and all of this stuff, yet if you don't practice it, you're not going to be very physically healthy and well. The same is true with our spiritual life. You actually have to follow through in these aspects. Now, last week we talked about our spiritual food. This week, I want to talk about having healthy conversation, and not just with other people, but I specifically want to talk about healthy conversations with one person, and that is with the Lord, Our, and that is the idea of prayer. I want us to look at the idea of prayer this morning, because in this series on spiritual health, uh, for the purpose of gaining godliness, you know, it takes all this stuff. And, and one of the things that is vital to us having spiritual health is prayer, which is the activity of communicating with God. Prayer is a vital aspect to your health spiritually. And if you don't practice prayer, then you're never going to have the full spiritual health that God intends for you to have. So to look at this this morning, I'm going to, I want us to look at probably the most popular text in scripture that deals with, uh, with the idea of prayer. And it's found in Matthew chapter six. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning in Matthew chapter six. Now, Matthew chapter 6, just kind of a background, is located within what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is up on the mountain, and he's teaching his disciples, and his teachings are out of this world. They are completely opposite of anything that they had ever been taught before, and he's sharing with them all kinds of things. He's, he's talking to them about how uh, God is not so much interested in the outward appearance of obeying the law, but on the heart, on the inside. He talks about how, you know, it's not just about not 
not having an affair, but it's also about not actually thinking about having an affair. It's in your heart. He talks about that. Murder begins in your heart. He gives them all of these things. Um, and in this teaching, he starts to answer a question that was kind of common that they had asked before, and, it, and they're going to ask again later, and that is, we pray. What is it we need to do when we pray? And this is what Jesus says to him, says to his followers in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you need, of, a need before you ask of him. In this manner, therefore, pray." Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your today. We're thankful for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you'd bless the reading of your word. And as we examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase and that the words would be shared today would be yours and they would impact us, Father, that, that we wouldn't be the same this morning when we leave this place because we've been face-to-face with you through your word. I pray, Lord, as we come to a time of decision at the end of the service, Lord, that whatever decision you're leading us to make, that we would follow through in obedience for your glory and for your honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this text deals with Jesus' teachings on prayer. It's known as probably the prelude to what's known as the Lord's Prayer, and it's really technically not the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord's teachings or instructions on prayer. If you really want to know how Jesus prayed, you can turn to uh, John, later on in John chapter uh, 17, I believe, 16, 17, and you'll find the prayer of Jesus. But this is a model prayer. This is what he's teaching them. And And we could spend, and we have actually, now that I think about it since I've been here, we could spend weeks on this text and the following verses that start in verse 9 and go all the way down, I believe, through verse 14. And so we could spend time on the actual prayer, but in order for us to really grasp what it means to have healthy conversation with God for the purpose of spiritual health, there is a lot of truth just in what we read that leads up to the actual prayer. Matter of fact, there are two things in particular that we need to see this morning when it comes to our prayer lives for the activity of communicating with God that is vital for our spiritual health. There are two things specifically that he shows us in the text that we just read. Number one, the first thing I want us to see this morning is that there are some hindrances to your spiritual or healthy conversation with God. There are some hindrances. There are some things that are going to hinder you from having what's called healthy conversation with God. And they're found in verse 5. The first one's found in verse 5. He, he starts off by telling them um, there, there's some things that will hinder them. The first one's found in verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Okay? And so the idea is, the hindrance there is hypocrisy. He says, you shouldn't be like the hypocrites. And he, the word hypocrite in the Greek it literally means actor or pretender. Okay, It's someone who represents that the act that they pretend with the purpose of deception um, in order to get unwarranted or undeserved rewards. They want to fake 
who they are. They want to fake it. They want to be an actor or a pretender. Now, you could find this type of prayer, according to Jesus, in two specific locations in that day and age. The first one in the text that he says that you'll find it is in the synagogue. You would find that kind of prayer in the synagogue, who, who, who they basically, it's the idea that they were one way in the synagogue and another way out in the world. They were hypocrites. They were pretenders. They were fakers. Here's, here's the thing. Um, your words don't prove who you are. Your actions do. You see, you, you can talk the talk outside the walls of the church, but when you come in the church, and, and, and it's not about what you say, it's about what you do. You can talk the talk, but if your actions don't follow through, then you're a hypocrite, and that's what they were doing. Outside of the church, outside of the synagogue, they acted completely polar opposite of what they acted when they came inside. And he says, when you pray, that's hypocritical prayer. You're not being honest. You're pretending. And you think for some way, this is God's way, Jesus' way of saying, and you think somehow you can fool God who knows all. By the way, you can fool me as your pastor. You can fool each other. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your children. Children, a lot of times you can fool your parents, but you can't fool God. You can't act one way. He sees your heart. He knows who you are. And he says one of the hindrances to having healthy conversation is being hypocritical. And you find that in the synagogues. Now, um, he also says that you'll find it in the streets. Matter of fact, go back and look at it because it's very specific. Look at it, what he says in verse 5. He says, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and listen, and on the corners of the streets. Now, the key to that is the idea, uh, the word corners, sometimes some translations translate it broad. Okay, and, and that's exactly what it is. This idea of corners of the streets, it, in the Greek, it, it means broad street. It means the, the main street. It, it's, the, it's the most heavily traveled corner there is. Okay, so it, it's, it's like if you go to uh, Tulsa or Oklahoma City, um, there, are, there are people standing on some corners that have signs off needing help, right? I'm hungry, uh, out of work, veteran, different things that they say that they need help. But did you notice they're always at heavily traveled corners and not at corners that no one is at? Like if you drive to downtown Oklahoma City, you're going to see them at the, the corners that have all the traffic, but if you turn and kind of get off the main route and just go to a stop sign or a stoplight that's random, you won't see them standing there. Why? Because there's nobody there to see them. That's the idea here. They weren't just going to every street corner. They were going to the most heavily traveled street corner, and then they were proclaiming loudly with a voice in prayer. Now, now, I want you to know there, there's nothing necessarily wrong with praying in the synagogue or in the street. But note, these were the only places they seemed to be praying. They prayed like this in the synagogue, and they prayed like this where everybody could see them in a very public area. They, and they did it for a very specific purpose. According to verse 5, they did this so that they may be seen by men. And so a hypocritical prayer is the idea that you're not being truthful, you're faking, you're pretending, and you're doing it for a purpose of trying to gain man's applause or that man may see who you are and man might think that you're a godly person. And so you pray in certain areas but not in the secret and in the quietness of your heart. It's always very 
public. And so the emphasis is, is that a hypocrite loves to pray, and they love to pray so they can be seen and applauded by man. Not to honor God, not to worship God, not to supplement God, not to grow in a relationship with God, specifically for a purpose of being applauded by men. And if that's the way you pray, you pray so people will notice you and people will, will think highly of you, then, then that's a hypocritical prayer. It's not about that. It's about growing in our relationship with him. The second thing that he tells us that will help us or, or hinder us in our health, having a healthy conversation with him is found in verse 7. So first one is hypocrisy. It will hinder you. And then look down in verse 7. He gives us another one. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So the idea here is vain repetition. Now, <laughs> this is very delicate, but um, some repetition is okay. He, he's being very specific. It's vain repetition. And vanity repetition, there's, a, there's an example of this actually in the Old Testament, and I'll talk about it in a second, but, but you need to kind of know uh, the Gentiles' way of life. See, the first one in the synagogues and on the street, that really deals with mostly the Jewish people because the Gentiles really didn't go into the synagogue much, okay? And you might find them out praying on the street corner, but, but this one, the vain repetition, more, more than likely he's dealing with those that are listening to a sermon that aren't Jews because in that day and age, gen Gentiles, non-Jewish people, they were known for praying in a repetitive over and over and over saying, and it was the, they did it with the idea that they needed to do this. The more they repeated what they were saying, the more their God would believe they're being sincere, and therefore he would be more likely to answer them, okay? And that's why Jesus says, number one, he says, don't do that because your Father in heaven already knows what you ask and what you need before you even ask it. So there's no need to try to bend the ear of God being repetitious in what you're saying. Now, the, the example of where you'll see this in the Old Testament is in the story of Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. Now, if you know that story, it's probably my favorite story in the Old Testament because, and I've said this before, I, I think that it's the first example of trash talk in the entire Bible. Because when you look at it, they're having a competition, and, and the, the, the Baal uh, priest or, or prophets of Baal, they, they build an altar, and they they begin to shout unto God, and they're being repetitive, and they're just going on and on with their prayer. And, and Elijah starts to mock them. And he's like, oh, get a little louder. Maybe he doesn't hear you. Or my favorite one is, oh, maybe he's actually out relieving himself. Literally, I mean, think about that. He says, maybe your God had to get off the throne to go to the bathroom. And that's basically what he's saying. It's the first evidence of trash talk to me in Scripture. And he's just going on and on and on. And they're hooping and they're hollering. And he's kind of sitting there prodding them on, like, get louder. He'll hear it if you'll just be louder. And they just kept on and kept on and kept on in this vain repetition, trying to get their God to answer them. And then they, they finally don't stop. And Elijah finally gets enough and basically just calls down from heaven a simple prayer. And God sends a fire down from heaven. And it completely consumes the altar and the water that he had had it saturated with. Listen, the idea is you and I don't get closer to God and have healthy conversation by just being repetitive over and over and over again. He already knows what you need before you even ask it. So you don't need to be vain in your repetition, thinking that if you'll just do it over and over and over again, 
he'll answer. Sometimes we need to realize that when we're praying, sometimes the answer is no, and, and asking over and over and over again is not going to change his mind. Like, I've got three kids. There's certain things they ask of me that the answer is no, it's going to be no, it'll always and forever be no as long as they live in my house. Doesn't matter how many times they ask. Doesn't matter how many times they beg. They, they can't, there's nothing they can do to, to um, uh, get me to change their mind. They can't bribe me. They can't do anything that's going to get me to change my mind because the answer's no. Isn't that the way we pray sometimes? Like, we know God doesn't want us to do something, but we pray for it anyway, and then God says no, and we just keep praying for it. It's like we're begging and thinking he's obviously going to change his mind. God don't work that way. And he also doesn't work in the idea that if the louder you get and the more you talk, then the more he's going to listen. God's there to listen, not based off how much you talk, but on the fact that you talk in sincerity. And we're going to talk about those in just a little bit. So there's two ways in which your prayers to having a healthy conversation will be hindered. Number one is hypocrisy, and, one, and the other one is having vain repetition. And there's a third one. It's not in the text, but I want to give it to you because it's just as much a hindrance, and that is sin. When you and I have unconfessed sin in our life, it hinders our prayers. And so I want to give you a couple texts. They're both found in the Old Testament, and then we're going to move on. The first one is found in Psalm 66, 18. And this is what the writer of that psalm says. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I keep it in my heart and I regard it or I accept it and I don't deal with it, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayer. Do you ever feel like God just doesn't hear your prayers? Sometimes that's because the answer is no. Sometimes it's because your relationship with him is hindered because of sin and you need to confess it. The second one is found in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. It says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. And so when you and I have sin in our life, and we don't deal with it, and we regard it, we accept it, we act like it's no big deal, then, then we, it hinders our prayer. Brother John showed a video this morning about, uh, in his class, the first video was about um, which, uh, the, a fake Jesus, basically. And, and one of the things was this is Jesus, and, and he was polar opposite of the Jesus of the Bible, but he was making everything very popular in this video. And, and, and the thing about that is, is it was kind of the idea that Jesus would say, oh, don't worry about it, that sin is not that big a deal. But the Bible says that sin is a huge deal so much that he had to send his son to die for it. So when you and I treat sin as no big deal, then we do a disservice to the grace of God that is, is shown to us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And so we are not to regard it. We're not to accept it. It is not normal. I mean, it's normal by the flesh, but it's not normal by the spirit. And therefore, we're not supposed to have it. And if you have sin in your life, then it will affect your prayer life to having a healthy conversation with God. That's why 1 John 1.9 is so vital to us as believers. I've told you, as your pastor, I encourage you, there's certain scriptures I think every Christian needs to memorize, and 1 John 1.9 is one of those. Because 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the reason why that's so important to us is because 1 John is written to Christians. See, sometimes we use that verse to lost people saying, oh, if you'll confess your sin, God's faithful and just to forgive your sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, which isn't untrue, but that's not the context of the verse. The context is dealing with Christians. 
and that when Christians sin, we're told to confess our sin, and then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from it. And when we have that cleansing, we can have a healthy conversation with him. You ever, if, as a parent, especially if you have older kids, you ever had to try, your, your kids try to have a conversation with you, but they've messed up and they haven't done anything to try to make that right? Like they know they've messed up, they know they've sinned, but instead of dealing with that and admitting that to you, they come in and they try to get you to change the subject or they, they, they don't want to talk about it, they don't want to deal with it, and you're sitting there and you're listening to them, but you're not hearing them. And the reason why you're not hearing them is because they're not dealing with the issue at hand. That's the way God is. Sometimes we want to go to him and we want to bypass the issue of sin and just start talking about something else. But he has a desire for us to walk in a healthy relationship with him. Sin hinders that healthy relationship. And so we need to deal with it through confession so that then we can begin to communicate with God the way he intends for us to communicate. So there's three hindrances to healthy conversation. The second thing that he shows us in the text are some requirements for healthy conversation. There's some things that you and I have to do in order for our conversations with God, our prayer lives to be healthy. And I want to give them to you real quick. Yes, there's four of them, but they're not real long. And so I want to give them to you. The first one is you need to realize the expectation to pray. In this text, from verses, starting in verse 5 all the way down through verse 9, you will see Jesus writing in an imperative sense the idea of praying. He says in verse 5, when you pray, it's an expectation, not if you pray. It's when you pray. Verse 6, but when you pray. Verse 7, and when you pray. Verse 9, pray then like this. There is an expectation from Christ that his followers would be a praying people. If you remember, it's one of the reasons Jesus got irritated at the counters in God's house when he went in to pray and they were changing. Remember the change booth? problem and he walked in and they're in there they're cheating people and offering this change stuff and he flips over the tables of the change vendors and he says that my father's house shall be known what as a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves see God has always desired that his people be a praying people and God has an expectation that we would actually be a praying person now I realize to say that prayer is expected of us may cause some people to feel uncomfortable especially the anti-authoritarian anti non-conformist Christian nobody can tell me what to do people but the expectation of prayer is undeniable in scripture we are expected to pray. And so, number one, you need to understand that prayer is an expectation. And if you're not praying, you're not meeting the expectation. And if you're not meeting the expectation, you can't have healthy conversation because you're not having any conversation. So there's an expectation that we pray. Number two, not only do you need to realize there's an expectation that we be a praying person, but you need to remove yourself from the world to pray. Look at what he says. He says, look at it in verse 6. He says, in verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room. Go into your room. Now, that idea of your room in the Greek, if you break it down, it literally means storeroom or inner room or secret room. It, it, it's, it was normally in the center of the house, and it was a specific room uh, that was established inside the house that would offer complete privacy to you. 
It, it was the idea that you would get away. You needed to remove yourself. He says, go into your room. You need to remove yourself. You need to get into a place that offers you privacy. Jesus is telling his followers that they need a place they can go that offers them privacy. Now, that place can be different for everyone, okay? Uh, Jesus, for example, made a closet out of the garden, okay, um, and on a hillside. That's where he would go. He would go to a secluded place that offered privacy in order to pray. Peter, um, a lot of times, would make his prayer closet on top of a housetop. Like he would, it, why? Because it would get away from everyone, and he could be up there without any, with, with privacy. He needed a place to be private. Now, the point is that when you and I pray, we need to have a specific place that we can go in order to pray. Now, does that mean that we can't pray in other times? No, it doesn't. There are times when we need to pray together. The Bible talks about corporate prayer, praying as individuals, uh, believers within a, a group of people as the church. There, there's examples all the way through the book of Acts where the church gathered together to pray together. So absolutely, there's a time for corporate prayer, and, and there's a time where you're in a situation that just rises where you can't literally move, remove yourself, and you need to pray right then. So there's nothing wrong with that. But this is the idea uh, of a quiet, alone time with God. This this is a specific prayer time that he's talking about here. And that's probably one of the reasons why so many of us are unhealthy in our conversations with God is we never get alone with God. Like we pray, but we're never alone when we pray. We either pray with others, which isn't bad, but it's not the same. There's some times where you need to pray something out loud to God that you can't do in front of everyone. You, you just can't. You need that private, intimate time where you can be transparent. I can guarantee you pastors are that way. You know what I mean? Pastors lose their position because they feel like they have the um, freedom to be transparent with their church. And during a prayer time, they make a prayer request known that's very transparent. And the church is uncomfortable with it. And they don't, they're like, you struggle with that? You're out. There are times where you need to be transparent and the only way to do that is to get alone. And sometimes we don't want to do that. We don't mind praying with other people. We don't mind praying when we're in the shower. We don't mind praying when we're driving down the road. But getting alone in a quiet place is not on our to-do list. And Jesus says, if you want your prayers to be healthy, you need to find some time to remove yourself from the world. Now, listen, that, that leads me to the third place because it's a very specific place that we can go in order to pray, but not any place. Now, this is something we need to catch. Look at the rest of our six. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your room. Now get this, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father. So not only do you need to remove yourself from the world, but you need to shut out the distractions. And this is where it's very important that you decide where that place could be. Because I used to hear this, my grandpa used to say it all the time. Well, son, I can pray out in that open field underneath the tree as good as I can pray to God in church. That's not necessarily wrong. I've also had a guy one time that tells me, Brother Dwayne, I can, pr I can pray out on the, out on the pond uh, shore where I'm out fishing just as good as I can pray in that church. I, I've had some say, and I, uh, I can pray just as good out on the golf course as I can in that church building, or I can pray just as good doing this or doing that as I could in, in that church building or at home. And that's not necessarily wrong except for the fact you, when you find a private place to get alone with God, you need to be, it needs to be in a place where you can shut out distractions. And sometimes you just can't do that unless you're in an enclosed area. 
where there's no distraction. Like, if you're anything like me, I have adult ADD, okay? And I love to play golf. It's, it's a peaceful time. I, I do. I enjoy it. But I used to go out there thinking I'd go out there and get alone with God, and I never could get alone with God because everything distracted me. The falling of the leaves or the wind or whatever, squirrel running across the fairway and I was afraid I was going to grab my golf ball. I don't know. Anything would distract me. And, I, and when I get distracted, I can't focus. That's the whole idea of shutting your door. Don't just remove yourself from the world, but actually shut the door behind you so that the distractions that are going to be there to try to keep you from having this healthy conversation with me will go away. That's what God is wanting from us. He wants you to find a private place in order to have an intimate conversation, and that needs to be private, but it also needs to be a place with no distractions. Now, if, and so, that, yes, Jesus, like I said, Jesus did it on a mountainside. He did it on a hilltop. He did it in a garden. And, and that's, there's, there's times for that, but you just need to make sure wherever this place is that you can be alone and you can shut out the distractions. And if you're being distracted, that's not your private place. I'm just telling you, no matter what it is, if you're being distracted. So you need to shut out the distractions so you can be alone and feel alone and, and really focus on who you're talking to and what you're talking about so your prayers will be healthy. And then the last thing that he shares with us that we need to do in order to have a healthy conversation with him is you actually have to rehearse. Now, I just chose that word because it starts with the letter R and I wanted to try to keep everything going this morning, but it does present the right, the right idea. You got to practice. You actually have to pray. That's what he says in verse 9. You see, in, in verses 5 through 7, he says, And when you pray, don't do this. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be vain in your repetition. And then he says, yeah, you, when you pray, you need, to, you need to realize that I expect you to pray. You need to remove yourself from the world. You need to shut out the distractions. But then, in verse 9, pray then like this. And then he begins to give them the instructions on how to pray. You actually have to pray. You have to practice. You have to pray. You and I, after Jesus gave them the hindrances to their prayers and instructions, he instructs them to actually pray. Here's the thing. You and I will never have a healthy conversation with the Lord if we never have actual conversation with the Lord. That's, that's just reality. You say, that, Brother Dwayne, that, that, that doesn't sound real like deep. No, it, it, that, it's not supposed to be. It's just reality. You know, in, in marriage, um, probably one of the best pieces of advice is that I was given going into getting married with Jenna. I was given a couple, and I held on to them, but one of them was this, and it was the idea that you can never over-communicate. You can never over-communicate. You can never communicate too much with your spouse. A lot of times in marital counseling that I've done over the years, I've found that one of the things that breaks down, that causes relationships and marriages to break down and fall apart is a lack of open communication with one another. They have no healthy conversation. I'm not talking about just any conversation. I said healthy conversation because some of them are really good about con having conversations, but they're not the healthy kind. They're, they're more like... Uh, I can't even repeat what said kind of conversation or the ones that pick up something and throw something at you. They have no problem communicating, but they have very large problems having healthy, open, honest 
peaceful communication. You and I are called to have a relationship with God through Jesus. A relationship. And for any relationship to flourish, you need good communication, healthy communication and conversation. How are you and I ever to have healthy spiritual lives that show themselves by being godly and an aspect of a true living relationship with God if we never have any healthy conversations with him? No relationship really survives a lack of conversation and communication. You're either growing together or you're growing apart. And he desires for us to have healthy prayer lives so that we can have healthy spiritual lives. And in order to do that, yes, you need to realize there's an expectation. Yes, you need to remove yourself from the world. Yes, you need to shut the door and get the distractions out of the way. But then you actually have to sit down and openly communicate with your heavenly father. And the good news is he desires to have that kind of conversation with you.